Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy from the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, the company that will never die, at least for a while. A Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And at the present time, we have six Blu-rays out. Actually, make that seven. Just finished putting together uh, my... Let's see, what film would that be for Desperate Visions? Like my second production, uh, 15th anniversary of Sukiban, Octopus Pot, my Pinky Violence film that I did back in, uh, was that 2008? So yeah, that should be out by the time, well actually no, because this is coming out in just a few days. So uh, that should be out by the end of June, so be on the lookout for that. We'll have seven releases on Blu-ray, Mondo Sacramento, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, Volume 2, uh, the Nudie Cutie double feature of The Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel and Sin City, and then finally, Sukibon, Octopus Pot. Uh, and we are on post-production on Shino's Ferratu, and I recently joined the production of a new... Uh, anthology horror film that's going to be um, wrapping up well we're starting it soon but it's going to be wrapped in December and it should be out in 2024 and that is uh, through Donald Farmer Uh, he's the head of the anthology film and it's going to be called Amityville Aliens so I'll be one of seven directors doing a uh, 10 to 20 minute film as part of that film so be on the lookout for that Uh, as you know Donald Farmer has quite a few films out um, through different labels I think like Culture Shock and uh, Vinegar Syndrome and a few like that so it should be a good jump for me it'll give me some good exposure and uh, it'll let people know about Desperate Visions Productions and the Franco Observer Podcast so it's a win-win for me um I started writing it. Well, yesterday I got on board, so I started already figuring out what I want to write and do. So uh, it's going to be fun. And uh, be on the lookout for that. I can't say too much because uh, it's going to be a surprise. So, yeah. But you know me, you know my film, so I think you might know what to expect. I just say I'm going to sneak a little bit of wrestling in there. So, today we are here speaking of film. I'm sorry, episode 147, film 163, Tender Flesh. So, Tender Flesh, and here we go. Tender Flesh, USA production. Wow, that's a change. Uh, 1997, through One Shot Productions. This is the first of the One Shot Productions of Jess Franco that will start finishing out the run of the podcast. So, things are changing now, as you'll soon see. Uh, original title and country of origin, carne fresca. That's a really good drink, uh, a nice soft drink. We used to have fresca. Well, now we have carne fresca. Carne fresca, tender flesh. Alternative titles, tender flesh, bocaccia de carnale, U.S. DVD title, or bocaccia de carnale, shooting title. Production company, One Shot Productions. Running time, the U.S. NTSC DVD is 93 minutes. Uh, I have the Retro Cinema Seduction one, so it's not in front of me, but that's the one I'm going to be watching. And this will be a solo review by yours truly. Uh, Timeline, shooting date on this, November 1996, and it was released on USA Video Release October 20th, 1998. Running time, U.S. Brooke Edwards, NTSC DVD, 91 minutes, 12 seconds. So it looks like short down by about two minutes. Uh, director, of course, we all know who, Jess Franco, Jesus Franco, Jesus Franco Manera. Uh, written by Jess Franco, produced by Kevin Collins, Hugh Gallagher, Peter Blumenstock. Uh, he's got a lot of credits here. Executive producer, Gabriel Iglesias, not the comedian, and Jess Franco. Uh, director of Photography, Benjamin Gordon. Music by Sexy Sadies, Daniel J. White, Jess Franco. Produced by Soderfuge Records, Pizza Pop. Uh, songs, I'm going to go through all that. Line producer, I'm going to skip that. Assistant director, wow, that's at first. Pedro Timbori. Uh, 
camera assistant Raquel Cabrera. He's got still photographers. He's got makeup. He's got English dialogue, special effects. Uh, editor Lena Romay as Rosa Maria Morale. Um, let's see. We'll skip all that. Sound mixer. We'll skip those guys. Special thanks to the producers. Would like to thank Peter J. Evanaco, Tim Greaves, the late great Craig Ledbetter, who I bought many of my films from. From just Franco Wise, uh, Pierre Walton, Stephen Blickenstaff, Jeannie L. Francis, uh, Draculina Publishing, and Michael Shutter. Cast, not too many people on this one. Uh, of course, the late, great Lina Romay as Gorgona Radic. So I know you know Radic is a famous last name of his. Uh, Monique Parent plays Baroness Irina Kalman. Not the Irina female vampire, but a different Irina. Aldo Sambrell plays Nauticus Kalman. Alan Petit, nice, returns as Paul Radic. Anelia Evarez plays Furia. Miguel Cafarena plays Mikhail Cronin. And finally, Amber Newman plays Paula. Uh, let's see, I'm going to skip synopsis for the review portion when I do after the break. Uh, production notes. This next substantial chapter in Franco's career came about by chance. Tim Greaves and Kevin Collins of magazine publishers One Shot Productions decided to produce a substantial booklet devoted to Lena Romay. The basis of what became the Lena Romay Files, the intimate confessions of an exhibitionist, was a career interview carried out in Spain in March 1996 during post-production on Killer Barbies by Collins as well as the publisher of Draculina magazine, Hugh Gallagher. The two became friends with both Lena and Jess, and they began talking about giving the director the opportunity to make a film unencumbered by artistic interference. Peter Blumenstock of musical music publishers Crippled Dick Hockwax, wow, in Germany, provided some of the finance, as well as Gallagher of the renamed One Shot Productions, plus some private investors. Gallagher had already directed, produced, and or written several low-budget sex and horror titles, such as Gorgasm, Gorotica, and Gore Horror. I remember Gorgasm. All right, review by Julien Grangier, not Stephen Thrower. Tender Flesh recycles tropes, characters, and storylines from several earlier Franco titles, most notably Countess Perverse and Eugenie, the story of her journey into perversions. Two good films. That being said, this film is, regrettab is regrettably short on incident. It can be divided broadly into four acts. One, on the mainland at Lena's Club, and reduce two, on Coleman's yacht traveling to the island, three, dinner at the villa, and four, the hunting of Paula. As in Countess Perverse, this final section is based on Richard Connell's 1924 short story, The Most Dangerous Game, one of the greatest. However, Tender Flesh can barely devote 15 minutes to what should be the film's big dramatic payoff. Once again, it seems the great outdoors holds little interest for Jess, and the hunting down of Paula looks like it was tossed off at the end of the shoot, demonstrating a critical lack of coverage and even less energy. I find it hard to recall a more lackluster chase sequence. Furthermore, Lena and the statuesque Monique Parent display a startling inability to handle a bow and arrow, however fetching they may look wearing tiny leather jerkins while naked below the waist. Franco is typically less interested in narrative than creating an atmosphere, a look, a erotic ambiance, and yet, unfortunately, the film fails to deliver on these elements either. The film is competently shot by Benjamin L. Gordon, and the image quality is markedly better than the subsequent Mari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula. The lighting of the scenes is adequate, and the sequences between Carlos and Paula even feature reasonably extensive coverage, yet there is little interest on screen to display. The cast is fine. Lena looks sharp with her cropped hair, shades, and grimaces. Amber Newman attempts to deliver a decent performance, even if she does look rather haggard. Yikes. Simultaneously dapper and a touch seedy, Alan Petit, who looks like a friendlier version of Anthony Cher, whoever that is, contributes a lovely touch when he sniffs the air as Lena approaches him, while Parent 
similarly works well, coming across like an American version of the compelling Brigitte Leahy. Nice. And, of course, there is the ever-sleazy Aldo Sambrell, always a welcome presence, who is giving next to nothing to do except, well, look sleazy. Apart from Lena, the real star of the show is Anelia Avers as Furia, a character so hypersexualized that at one point she seems to be working hard to seduce a parakeet in a cage, as well as turning gay Aldo Sambrell bisexual. That's funny. Uh, Ivers sports a version of her fur bikini from Golden Temple Amazons, only this time it's a skimpy little number comprising the sort of metal medallions popular on the chest of Spanish men for decades. Nevertheless, this mix of Spanish and American elements doesn't gel especially well, especially if Jess himself had been behind the camera. He had less time and even less money. The results may actually have been better. A weaker script shouldn't be much of a problem with Franco's style of filmmaking, but here you get the feeling that the characters just talk and talk for no good reason. Presumably the aim is character development, but at the same time no one seems to care. We are informed that Furia seldom leaves the mansion during the day, turns out she does, and that she chooses to be entirely mute, which she isn't, in the scene where her callman appears to have fallen for Furia and licks her breast, Furia explains, Men! Parent havingly forgot that she's supposed to never speak. The film does try for a little shock now and again, the much commented upon scene in which Furia climbs onto the worktop in Petit's kitchen and actually pees into his bowl of marinade. Ah, delicious, he says on tasting the mixture. Comes as something of a surprise, as does a long sequence in which Furia slavishly runs her tongue over every millimeter of Lena's black stilettos, which can only appeal to those ardent foot fetishes out there. However, uncertainty of tone finds the film frequently copping out. After the shoe-licking episode, Furia stays under the dinner table to perform cunnilingus on Monique Parent and a blowjob on Sam Burrell, but these are shot coyly and merely drag out the running time. Similarly, there is a moment when it looks as if Furia will give the injured Paula a damn good rimming, but the scene abruptly cuts. A central moment in Tender Flesh is the scene in which Furia cruelly whips the prostate Paula, a take on the scenes in Eugenie, the story of her journey into perversion, in which Christopher Lee's Dolmonts and his cronies watch while Eugenie is tortured and violated. But here the scene lacks the vibrant red colors and sheer style of the earlier film and come across as merely rather nasty, and not in a good way. The watching Gorgona erratic rise ecstatically but can't do all the heavy lifting herself. The scene isn't helped by the rather vague makeup effects and the lack of close-ups showing the whip actually making much contact with Amber Newman's naked body. A later scene in which Paula slits the throat of the Baroness Irina barely leaves a mark, but in a moment of very poor continuity, later shots of Irina's corpse show her covered in blood. Thus it comes as a shock when Furia executes the helpless Carlos with a shot in the head which results in a wonderful example of an old-fashioned Peckinpah gory squib effect. Tender Flesh is full of peculiar moments, when Lena and Parent make out in the magnificent Vila's swimming pool, and the location incidentally is stunning. They are watched by Aldo Sambrell's German character, Herr Kalman, who plays the guitar and sings. Dubbed over the top is some group singing an English song in strongly accented French. This confusion between the Digetic and non-digetic elements of the scene may be interesting if it were part of some deliberate audience-alienating schema, but it comes across as merely incompetent. Later on in the scene, in which both Gorgona and Irina manage to hit Paula with their arrows, goodness knows how, loud audience applause is heard. Again, I, again this idea seems to have been tossed in during post-production, perhaps in the hopes of hope of enlivening these insepid scenes, but more likely in the hope of some unfortunate writer might care to expound on Franco's Brechtian distinction techniques. Sorry, everybody, it just ain't so. Cast and crew. In accompanying, in accompanying, accompanying, 
51-minute documentary, Bon Appetit, The Making of Tender Flesh. It is revealed that the role of Carlos, here, play, here played by Pseudomonius Miguel Cafarena, was originally to have been played by Charles Chaplin, Jr., grandson of the great comic who had already appeared in Franco's Killer Barbies as well as the unreleased Jungle of Fear. The same documentary makes several claims that Amber Newman wins Franco's was Franco's discovery. However, the actress already appeared in titles such as Vamps, 1995, and Evil Ambitions, 1996. Alan Petit, or Petit, clearly delighted to be back acting in a film made by his old friend, was also the lead photographer and co-writer of Bon Appetit. Uh, music. Several scenes feature a harmonica score, shades of Eno Morricone's iconic music for Sergio Leone's westerns, but the only relevance here would seem to be the presence of Leone regular Aldo Sambrell. The extended sequence in which Furia slavers over Gorgona's stilettos while their owner rubs her nipples in ecstasy is scored with a bland modern rock track that merely accentuates the tedium of the whole exercise. Locations, Malaga and Andalusia, southern Spain. Connections. While Amber Newman takes a shower, the camera pans around to reveal a poster by Sutrefuge Records for Killer Barbies. A wet room does seem an odd place to put up a poster, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, really. A character reminds us once more of Franco's illustrious former workmates. If Bunel is name-checked in Mari Cookie, here it, here it is the maker of Citizen Kane. My good friend Orson Welles once told me that the perfect martini was the only com- was the one composed solely of gin, and then you only imagine the martini. My problem is that I often forget to imagine the martini. Okay, well, there's that. So, yeah, that's all that they have written for Tender Flesh. So, all right, well, let me get some little plugs in here before we get to the uh, middle uh, commercial for the Blu-rays. Yeah, once again, uh, my Blu-rays are available. Um... I would appreciate it, and hopefully you are interested in buying some of those. They are available. Um, we started off good, strong, but it's slowed down a little bit recently. So if you could uh, help out this independent filmmaker and purchase some Blu-rays, I think you'll dig them. Um, we have all that going on. Also, too, if you don't have the money or you don't want to do that, you can always watch Lady Hyde on Tubi or Amazon Prime. I do get uh, residuals off that. And also, uh, Mondo Sacramento 2 is streaming on Tubi and a few other channels right now. So if you watch it on there, that always helps me out. Mondo Sacramento 2 on Tubi. Check it out. Uh, We also have a donation page on the Red Circle homepage, the uh, parent page of the Franco Observer podcast. You'll see that there if you want to do a one-time or a reoccurring. It's always appreciated. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast. Download the episodes if you want. They're always there for you for free. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, and all your favorite platforms. If you don't want to spend a dime on anything, you can always tell your friends about the podcast. Spread the word. Spread the word about Desperate Visions Productions. Spread the word about Frank Observer Podcasts, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel in Sin City, Mondo Sacramento 2, Tubi, all that stuff. That doesn't cost you a penny, a dime. Or a fucking red nickel. So please spread the word. Help me out. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me and ask me about the Blu-rays or the podcast, you're always welcome to. Either at uh, francoobserver at yahoo.com. Or if you want to talk to me about the Blu-rays, you can do it at either francoobserver at yahoo.com or desperatevisions at yahoo.com. We have a Facebook and Instagram page for the Franco Observer Podcast. You can find us on Instagram under said Franco Observer Podcast or Facebook. Uh, once again, the Blu-rays we have, Mondo Sacramento, the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, which run uh, two hours each. Uh, Nudie Cutie Double Feature, two films for the price of one, The Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions. 
Then, of course, we have uh, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel in Sin City, and the brand new release, number seven, Suki Bon, Octopus Pot. And, of course, uh, we have She Knows Ferratu in post-production. And in pre-production, we have Amityville Aliens. So, all right. Well, hang out past the break and hear what I have to think and watch and say about tender flesh. Because the best flesh there is is tender flesh. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. Ah. Hi, this is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel in Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel in Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Volume 1 interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and the Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions. We have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have a Late Night Nudie Cutie Cinema double feature featuring two films, two Nudie Cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn, and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated. And Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p, high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AV- AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. The Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah. Brand new film, so check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p, full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo. And that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a Lady Hyde behind-the-scenes photo gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so... 
If you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... Actually, no, it's the um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have... Uh, and then, of course, with myself as well. So we have writer, director, and... Uh, actor commentary on that and then we have uh, a never before seen behind the scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool nobody's ever seen that before so that's a special feature on that and a behind the scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012 and uh, yeah so that's available all six releases, which is 13 films total, are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each, plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, if you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at desperatevisions at yahoo.com. That's desperatevisions at yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, and if you want to purchase all six in one swoop i will give you a discount and uh pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling so yeah please support fellow independent cinema and this is a one-man operation so i sincerely appreciate your support so yeah once again emmanuel in sin city lady hyde mondo sacramento the late night nudie cutie cinema double feature and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So pick them up today, DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. We are back with the review portion of episode 147, film 163, Jess Franco's Tender Flesh. So it's funny, I'm just looking at the DVD I got here of, um, what's this from here? Uh, Seduction Cinema. And uh, it's funny, so they titled it Jess Franco's Tender Flesh, like it's like his flesh is tender it's hey it's just franco's tender flesh which is funny because uh now that i think about the film that i just watched the title does fit in more than i thought especially with the ending but you'll have to watch that to understand that so yeah it's good good title it fits it well um so for this uh it's a solo review 
and I'm going to go over my notes, uh, talk about the synopsis, and also read a few things I thought were interesting on Letterboxd, because um, I'm a member of Letterboxd, of course. You can follow me at uh, the Franco Observer, Jason Rudy, on Letterboxd, and uh, I watch. I try to watch about a film a day or two films a day when I'm not working, so I try to have a good amount of numbers. And uh, lots of all rate, some stuff all rate reviews on. Just matters what it is. But all right, so let's go ahead and knock the synopsis off first, and I'll uh, go from there. So, synopsis, of course, from the book Flowers of Perversion: The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume Two, by Stephen Thrower. But you should know that by now. Synopsis on oh, that was interesting. Um, on the urging of her boyfriend Carlos. American actress Paula auditions for a job at the club Emreduce under the watchful gaze of manager Gorgona Radic. She forces Paula to strip, approves of what she sees, and soon has the young woman performing an ex- extravagant erotic floor show, which she uses to audition young women for various of for various of her wealthy clients. That makes no sense. Audition young women's for various of her wealthy clients. Should say she auditions young women for various jobs for her wealthy clients. But anyway. Paula soon attracts the attention of wealthy gay financier Nauticus Kalman and his wife, the Baroness Irina. On their instruction, Gorgona bribes Carlos to persuade Paula to visit their secret tropical island, all for a substantial fee. The group travel to the island by yacht. Joining them is Gorgona's husband, Paul Raddick, a chef and keen photographer. See, I didn't know that was her husband in the film. Uh, There awaits them a beautiful mansion hidden in the trees, as well as the wild and wildly amorous Feria, an Amazonian creature who came as part of the package when the Colmans bought the island. The various characters get to know each other over a long dinner while Feria bestows her sexual favors on any of the guests she takes a fancy to. Carlos is told to leave the island, abandoning Paula while Irina and Gorgona demonstrate their attraction for each other both in and out of the villa's immense swimming pool. Later that evening, as the others watch, Paula is drugged and then brutally whipped by Furia. Later on, Furia rubs special spices into Paula's wounds, and the following morning she feels well enough to look around the villa. Uh, She finds a television playing a message from Gorgona, explaining that the first person to retrieve a briefcase left on a speedboat on the other side of the island can keep the money contained therein, some $50,000. Paula makes straight for the case, but is intercepted by Furia, who transports her to a secluded part of the island and then sets her free. The Radix and Kalmans intend to hunt down Paula for sport, while Gargona and Irina, both armed with a bow and arrow, with Gorgina and Irina, both armed with bows and arrows, bow and arrows. Uh, back in his hotel room, Carlos has second thoughts about abandoning Paula and decides to head back. Paula is wounded by Irina and Gorgona, but manages to slit Irina's throat. The stricken Kalman finds Paula and shoots her dead. Carlos, back on the island, finds the briefcase, but is executed by Feria with a single shot to the head. Later that evening, Paula serves up Irina for dinner. Well, uh, serves up Irina for dinner. That's interesting. I thought he served up somebody. Okay, interesting. Well, there goes the end of there. That's tender flesh. But I thought she had served up Carlos for dinner. I didn't know that was Irina. That's interesting. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. That's funny because I thought the dead body that they serve up is uh, the dude Carlos who had the worst neck beard and uh, unibrow you've seen in a while. Which I'm going to go and talk about him first. That guy, everybody was really good in it. Lena Romay was good. Uh, Moni Parent, I really liked his Baroness Irina Coleman. Uh, Aldo Sambrell as Nautis Coleman was good. Alan Petit as Paul Raddick, that's Lena's husband, was good. Uh, Anelia Avers, which is probably the best in there, as uh, uh, Furia, is probably the best in the film. She's really good, really unabandoned. 
and uh, Amber Newman as Paula was, was was decent. She's the lead. But the worst person is this Miguel Cafarina, a.k.a. Mikael Cronin as Carlos. That guy was like a total non-actor, and uh, you could tell he did the film just to like get to make out with uh, Amber Newman and Lena and everybody. I was just laughing because I was like, this guy is really bad. So now I'm going to look up his name and see if he was one of the producers or what he was. Miguel Cafarina. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I don't... Oh, wait, Javier Cafarina. He was a sound recordist. Uh, Miguel Cronin, Cafarina. Cafarina, Cronin. Huh. Yeah, I, I seriously would have thought he was like one of the uh, producers or something. But yeah, he is, that was like that was like the one weak person in the whole film was him. He was like the, the non-actor or everybody else. And he, I'll, I'll go through my notes later, but he was wearing a like uh, killer Barbie shirt. He was wearing this really bad Fangoria uh, Elvira shirt and a cheesy cowboy hat and these funky glasses. But yeah, he had like a total neck beard and he had like no facial, very little facial hair for a beard. It was all on his neck. And he had this really bad unibrow and it was just like totally dumb. So yeah, that was funny. Um, also, another thing that was really bad about this film was the music. Um, the jazz music and the Eugenie, like, woman singing was really good. But they played this really bad, uh, let's see, who was it? It was, uh, I don't know if the name's, band's name was, but they, they were really bad. It was like this bad kind of Spanish rock pop, and it was just garbage. It was, uh, let's see, a song, uh, pizza pot song Mr. Nobody Hangover by Jamie Garcia Soriano Voodoo Sacrifice The Doll Figure Night Mr. Hat Johnny Be Good by Miguel Serra yeah those two were just terrible all those those two singers were just terrible but they had like really cool fusion jazz and the female singing was almost like Eugenie the oh, which was really really good I, I really liked that a lot and it had that total Franco flair to it and everything but uh, yeah it was just um, so yeah, this was a mixed film. It felt like a Jess Franco film, though. It had a lot of his touches, and it's de- definitely a mix of uh, the most dangerous game, of course, and uh, Countess Perverse, which is from the most dangerous game. And then there's a lot of Eugenie or Journey into Perversion, and the different versions of Eugenie. But then there's also I noticed there's some stuff from like Cocktail Special in here, and some of that, which is kind of the the S and M. And the Safric stuff was quite plentiful in this, so that uh, I definitely could see. So it was, it was a mixed bag. Parts of it were really good, um, especially the stuff with Furia. She was really, really unhinged and, and really funny, and there's some shock value in it, which I'll, I'll go through here in a second. But uh, other parts of it were just went on way too long, which is a problem I have sometimes as an editor. You like the way something looks, and you want it to play too long, but... There's a scene, I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead of myself, but yeah, there's just some scenes that could be cut down. Um, it had really good locations. The mansion where they were at on the island was really beautiful and it was a really nice location and that really helped. Um, but there's some stuff which is really bad. The way it looked wasn't the best. Um, the beginning scenes were pretty bad. And yeah, so I don't know. It was out of two, uh, out of five stars, I gave it two out of five stars. That's why I rated it on Letterboxd. Um, and why I'm speaking of Letterboxd. Let me go ahead and read what they got here. So they got Tenderflesh. Pray for Paula, for Paula is the prey. An exotic dancer is hired to perform for a wealthy couple on an island, and this takes a and this takes for a turn for the worse. I should say and this no, yeah, and this takes a turn for the worse. They added an extra four. And when she is hunted by the couple on the island as the prey and dinner. So there's two reviews I was going to read. There's a guy who's a friend of a friend of mine, and I'm not sure if he listens to the podcast, but his name's Kyle Faulkner. And he gave a good, a good, pretty thorough review. I'm not going to read all of it, but he goes, um, After Killer Barbies, the Jess machine was once again quarried by the next generation of trash buffs, and Hugh... Gore Horror Gallagher and some other exploit geeks launched this Goodwill production and said, dude, go off. But when 
untrammeled by outside interferences. The choice for Jess seemed obvious, an update on the corrupted innocence of Eugenie, fused with the remote island cannibalism and debauchery of Countess Perverse, of course. Um, and it's basically... Uh, see, Gorgana, Lena Romay, now with fiery, mature age appeal, auditions the American actress Paula Amber Newman in her dingy downstairs strip club. Paula is new to the game and a little clumsy, but she's willing to learn and demonstrates her budding prowess by performing amidst a throng of giant felt puppet phallus in a bizarre stage show that seems to go on for days. It's a real attention getter. Um, sadly, that attention comes to comes from the most unsavory types in town. Okay, da da da, 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 da. Uh, Yeah, Carlos wears a killer Barbie's tea. They're invited to the Coleman's Island High. Okay, as you already know all that. Um, this was quite a nice surprise for late period Franco. It starts off pretty groan-inducing, but for, but from more or less the moment they reach the island, things get loose. The cast are all honorably immersed in this fantasy realm, but Ivar's very true is definitely the MVP here she seems to have only gotten more sultry with age and her very presence and kinky snarl sets the room ablaze um and I'll skip this one part because I really liked it um that was pretty funny let's see da, 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 da. they kind of go through the story here um but okay the bulk of the film is made up is makeup of these sorts of plotless, lubricous loungers, interludes of sapphic abandon and psychedelic BDSM, accompanied by an odd blend of Spanish folk grunge. This has the effect of making the limp attempts of characterization seem perfunctory and needless. Also, very little running. Also, very little runtime is then reserved for the film's piece de resistance when Lena, in a magnificent reversal of her one-time dangerous game victimhood, announces in her sexy English-speaking voice that Paula is to become the prey for the afternoon hunt. But for some mysterious reason, the whole thing has been framed as a TV game show, complete with cash prize and canned audience audio tracks. There is such a genuine oddness to it all, I couldn't help but be won over. Same here. And here's a and there's a certain fuzzy joy in seeing a restaging of the iconic finale from Couch's Perverse this late in the filmography. I doubt this would hold much identifiable value for newcomers. It's a film to be appreciated by seasoned Franco kooks like us who have already covered the early classics. There's something tricky to articulate about the mood here that is quite different from all that came before. A certain lusty sense of liberation that comes with the shot on video aesthetic and total artistic control. I'm hoping I am yet to discover more late Franco on this wavelength. Yeah, no, I was just thinking the same thing. So, all right, well, let me go through some of my notes here and tell you what I thought. Um, yeah, of course, in mean, 1997, uh, it starts with a woman on stage dancing and stripping while a sunglassed Lena watches her. And so we have a lot of early nudity, a lot of nudity through this whole film, actually. Uh, first nudity is at 2 minutes, 18 seconds. Part of my thing is to clock the first nudity of a Franco film. Um, so when Lena's having her audition and telling her to take off her clothes, she goes, You have a nice pousse. You you show me your pousse. I can't laugh about that. Lena's voice is really cool, though, and I'm glad she's like speaking English in these later films, and you can see, you listen to her, but yeah, I thought it was funny. Shut the pussy. Um, the girl on stage, so yeah, then later on, they, as he talks about, there's a stage show, which I was happy to see some of the old Franco tropes come out. The very bizarre strip show uh, stage that he usually does. And this is her with a, like, kind of a Frankenstein-looking monster and a mummy, and they're like... I think they're like statues because the mummy always looked like a guy though. It was weird because it looked like it moved funny. But and they have these fake phalluses, really big phalluses, and she pretends to lick them and stroke them, and then they shoot like uh, fake jizz out of the uh, penises, which is funny. Um, when everybody's watching and clapping and laughing, so then afterwards she goes to her showers up, and when she's in the shower, the camera pans around the room and we see a Ramones poster, a Killer Barbies poster during her shower scene. And Lena's on the bed with uh, that girl's boyfriend, the Carlos guy. And she flashes her pussy 
and makes out with him doing the magic tongue. Oh, yeah, Lena uses the magic tongue a lot, but we'll get to that on the list. But, yeah, so this has plenty of Lena's magic tongue in the film. Um, one thing I didn't like was uh, Franco shooting here with video cameras. So he's zooming in and out too far, and you can see the black frame around the camera lens uh, when you don't zoom out enough. So, uh, yeah, it looked pretty bad. It almost looked like a like a periscope effect in a few scenes, especially later on when he shoots a POV from Paula's perspective when uh, Irina kisses her, and it's just you can see the whole, like, almost like a uh, like a uh, fish-eyed lens effect with the framing of the camera. It looked really, um, really uh, bush league and very, you know, somebody that's not an experienced cameraman as Franco, he should have caught that. Um yeah, the black borders and the zoomed in stuff so it was not good. Um, so there's a sex scene of Paula and her cowboy had a dude, neck beard and unibrow dude, Carlos. Uh, he, he's wearing a killer Barbie shirt, of course. And I mentioned earlier the Fangoria shirt with Elvira. It's like they were getting points from Fangoria, hoping that it would be covered in the magazine. And I, th- I think it was actually late, uh, later on. Um, one thing I really thought was nice is when they arrive they get on boat and go out to the island. The mansion they use for that is really beautiful. It's a really great location. A lot of cool steps going up to the place. Very fancy, very expensive place. It was like a very much of a paradise. And that location really helped the film a lot. It gave it a lot of production value. And it, it looked really great. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, Furia. So yeah, she, she's the best. Uh, actually, I was going to bring up her. So... That's uh, Anelia Avars, and she has been in, uh, let's see, Anelia Avars plays Furia, and she's like the Amazonian uh, guard, she came with the island, obviously, they mentioned before, and she's the one that's the Amazon that lives on the island, and is basically their assistant, and she does all the the work, the heavy lifting type stuff, and the and the, the bodyguard and that. She's really cool. She was in Bahia Blanca, uh, Revenge of the House of Usher, Golden Temple Amazons, and the upcoming uh, Mari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula, the upcoming Lust for Frankenstein, and the upcoming Doctor Wong's Virtual Hell. But she was in Helter Skelter, the Franco version. But she was also in uh, Los Blues to Cali Pop, Thong Girls. Um, One Night in Casablanca and uh, uh, Is Cobra a Spy um, or, Oh What a Honeymoon you know that one so yeah so she's in uh, uh, 4, 8, 10 13 Franco films so which is pretty cool um, and then of course you have um, Aldo Sambrell as uh Coleman, and he was in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West, Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, Dr. Shivago, Tokyo Sucker, uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Navajo Joe, Haney Calder, Last Run, Hunter Rifles, he's in a shaft in Africa, he's in like a lot of stuff, so he was, really, oh, and he was also in Killer Barbies, okay, I didn't realize that was him, okay, yeah, he was in Killer Barbies, he was the uh, assistant to the Countess in the last film. But he was wearing that black hat and that and, and his fancy clothes, so I didn't realize that was him. So, yeah, so he did back-to-back Franco films here. And then um, Amber Newman was okay. Money Parent, I like her, actually. Uh, I looked her up because i never seen her before. She's in 120 films. The most famous one is The Truth About Cats and Dogs. But she did stuff like, you know, Night Ice 3, Body of Influence, a lot of TNA 80s films. But, uh, yeah, she was a really good presence. Um, they call her the thinking man's sex symbol. She, uh, had a really good look to her. I like kind of that short blonde hair and really, uh, fit body. She was, she was really good in this and really good actress, very commanding presence and, uh, really good in this. Um, but yeah, anyway, so there, there to that. Okay. So the big scene in this is Irina, I mean, um, Furia when she's, when they're getting ready to go to dinner the chef is preparing the food, the meat and everything. And there's a scene where she stands up on the counter and one take, it's not a camera trick, it's a real thing. She basically stands up on the counter and pisses 
downward into this like uh, metal kind of a uh, mixing bowl and uh, for basically to, to marinate the meat in later. But uh, she she basically stands up and you see the piss coming down from her into the bowl, and the chef stirs it up with a spoon and lifts it up and and, and drinks from the spoon. Pretty damn gross. Um, but I was laughing because there was the mandatory is there a pee scene in this film, and of course that was a, a yes. So and that part reminded me of a cocktail special too with the, with the pissing. So that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so basically she pees in the pees in the bowl for the marinade, the uh, secret sauce for the meat, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, then the chef tastes a spoonful, which was lame, uh, which was funny. I thought so. Yeah, then they have also lame rock music, which I mentioned um, all through the, th- the film. They basically just like wallpaper it through, kind of like Killer Barbies, which that was one thing that was bad about that was that they basically just wall to wall to wall rock songs and they did that but they mixed in the good music the the fusion jazz and the eugenie sound and stuff and, and other stuff so that made up for it uh well not made up for it it helped lessen the blow i should say um so let's see me turn the damn thing off here it's funny when you try to do a uh, podcast you get these damn sales calls um all right, so uh, oh yeah, I mean, so they have the she pisses in the bowl for the uh, for the meat, and then they all have this big dinner scene, which which is a good scene. They're all sitting around this table eating the, this meat, and you can see the guy kind of squint when he's tasting the meat to show that it had pee on it, you know. Uh, and then uh, Furia crawls under the table and basically gives oral to the guys and the gals, um, kind of like a on all fours, like she's an animal or something, and she goes through and basically services all the people while they're having dinner. Um, and, uh, yeah, so a lot, lots of, lots of zooming in on this, a lot of lens frames, POV shots. Um, and there's a scene where they're having this big kind of like orgy thing where they're whipping. Um, yeah, so I, I jumped ahead. So yeah, so Furia whips Paul on the floor with naked Lena and Irina watching, which was kind of a Eugenie type scene. He uses a lot of cool camera tricks on this, uh, some weird filters to give this kind of spacey effect, which reminded me of Eugenie and uh, the uh, the Baron guy is basically kind of like off to the side because he's very uh, he, he plays I guess he's bisexual in this and uh, he's kind of upset by it so then uh, Furia goes by and lets the Baron suckle at her boob like he's a child which was pretty funny uh, during that they have the bad mixing of the two songs the Eugenie song and then the bad Spanish rock grunge deal um, the scene that was really long was the scene with Furia rubbing down and tending to Paula's wounds that just went on and on for like four or five minutes which could have been cut down to like a minute and a half or less um, there's a scene where Lena jumps in the pool with Irina and she does this big like tongue scene where she's using her tongue all over which I was laughing because like she was really getting it on first by the statue and then in the, the pool after that um, the TV scene was cool. So basically when, uh, Paula wakes up and goes to discover this game show that's going on, she gets the instructions from Lena on a TV, but it's funny. So when they show this tape of Lena talking about this game show and finding the suitcase and getting the money, you see on the TV, it has auxiliary lighted up. Like it was basically, they were playing a VCR tape and it was the auxiliary station that was showing it, which I guess makes sense, but it was just kind of funny to see that. Uh, and Lena mentions, well, this is the island of the Glamazons, which was pretty cool. And then, of course, he mentioned uh, the laugh track on the island when she, when Paula finds out what's going on and she's looking, being hunted. There's a laugh track of people laughing at certain things that pop up, a fake alligator and a, a, a toy with a big penis. And then uh, people applauding and laughing and stuff, which was very odd. It gave a kind of a surreal touch. Um and Irina, good job. What does that mean? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So when Irina uh, gets killed, she does a good job. She uh, she gets her throat cut, and the, he, Franco shoots her laying there dead, and she doesn't blink or, or twitch with her mouth or nothing. She, she does a really good job playing dead with the eyes wide open and non-moving. But I was laughing, so Franco shows her laying there dead with her cut throat, and, like, one of her boobs is sticking out of her top. So he, like, shows the wound, and then he moves the camera over to show her one exposed boob, which I thought was pretty funny. It's like, 
well, here's your last chance to see her topless. So here we go. You know, um, that was pretty funny. Uh, and, you know, I always have a thing of a, of a bad thing in Franco films where if it's a, a hand-painted sign or something really cheesy, uh, the boat, the rowboat that they try to use at the end, you could tell it was hand-painted with the name of something for the island, which is pretty obvious. And uh, I did like the ending. It was very twisted, uh, very... It was upbeat in a twisted way where it celebrated the evil and the bizarre, but in a good way and didn't, it wasn't, I mean, it was downbeat, but it was upbeat because of how it was portrayed. So I did like that. So that, that was pretty cool. Uh, okay. Let me go through and hit the, uh, Franco checklist before my battery falls out here. Uh, number one, body of water. Yes. Number two, sailboats. Yes. Number three, boats. Yes. Number four, palm trees. Yes. Five, jungle sound effects. Yes. Plenty of those. Number six, chained up person. Well, Paula's bagged up, uh, but she's not physically chained up, so half point for that. Number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, it starts off the film with that and the bizarre stage show. Uh, eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. Well, there's a club scene of the strip club, but there's no bar. Th- well, kind of, it's more of a strip club, I would say. Number nine, jazz music. Yes, excessive t- zooms. Number ten, yeah. Which leads to number 11, out of focus shots. Yeah, Franco tries to zoom in on this woman's vagina, and it's like really out of focus. I was laughing. It's like his, one of his old moves. Number 12, mirror shots. Yes, there's a few. There's uh, the beginning with Lena and Paula. There's one of Franco shooting uh, from the floor upwards through a glass table where they're doing cocaine. You can see through there. And there's a couple more mirror shots on the island. Uh, 13, mind control theme. No. Uh, 14, magic tongue scenes. Yes, plenty. With the uh, Lena, the cowboy hat guy, or Carlos, uh, and then the lead actress, and then, of course, Lena does it. So, yeah, Lena does it a few times. 15, red light, no. 16, sheepskin rug or masturbation with a letter C item, uh, no. Uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. Well, you have the lady that runs the island, and she has a servant, so I'll give that a half point. Uh, number 18, fish tank shots, no. 19, talking parrots, no. The birds make noises. Uh, the bird in the cage makes noises, but no. Uh, 20, end credits, yes or no, yes. 21, handwritten notes, yeah, on the boat. 22, spiral staircase shot. Uh, no spiral staircase, but there is a lot of staircases going into the uh, mansion. You see, especially at the end, in sequence. Uh, 23, inept cops, no. 24, belly chains, no. Uh, 25, kinks. God damn, there's a lot of kinks in this. I'd say uh, voyeurism, um, uh, threesomes, S&M, uh, kidnapping. Um, uh, God damn, uh, water sports. There's, uh, there's uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of... Um, Exhibitionism, sex under the table stuff. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit in this. Uh, 26, great headboards. No, there's a headboard in it, but it's not really great. 27, fear or desire. Well, it starts off a lot with desire because they desire her and all that stuff, but then it ends with fear because she's in fear for her life. So mostly desire, but there is fear in here. 28, acoustic guitar player. Yes, uh, Furia, Furia plays the guitar as well. She does everything in this. She pisses in a bowl, plays guitar, gives oral to everybody, whips women. Uh, she's a uh, medic. She puts the spices and the magical herbs on Paula to heal her. Uh, she's like this uh, kind of the like bodyguard of the island, um, which actually I'm going to go back to 24 belly chains. She does kind of have a belly chain actually on her fewer. Even you see her, she has this kind of like sash thing, which is like almost like a body chain. Uh, okay, so number 28, acoustic guitar player, yes. 29, reading a book scene, no. And finally, number 30, pee scene, yes, there is a pee scene. Her pissing in the bowl, which is probably the highlight of the movie because it's just like, what the fuck? Why did that happen? So, yeah, I'd say that was pretty interesting. Um, all right, we'll wrap this up. Uh, about 30 minute mark, so that works out good. Once again, pick up my Blu rays. Um, on my storefront site and I'm working on a deal now to get them uh, picked up by a very cool online retailer that I will let you know in the future um, when it goes through but it's looking really good 
one that I buy my own cool stuff from, so I'm very happy with that. Uh, check out Lady Hyde and Mondo Sacramento 2, playing now on Tubi, and Amazon Prime and other stations. Um, of course, there's seven Blu-rays now available, Mondo Sacramento, Short Films, Volume 1 and 2, Nudie Cutie Double Feature, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel, and Sukibon Octopus Pot. And I'm uh, finishing up production on Shino's Ferratu and starting up as one of the uh, directors on the anthology project Amityville Aliens by Donald Farmer. So it's been a busy year, and I'm happy you're here to share this with me. So thank you all once again for listening to the Franco Observer podcast, and we will be back for the next episode, episode 148. Mari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula with guest Kali from L.A. reviewing it with me. So, buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches, maha. And watch a Franco film. Mm-hmm.